you know, if you missed any of the messages, I think you can just catch up on YouTube or whatever, but you know, who cares? Uh, if you missed any of them, just go back and read these chapters, these three chapters, spend time with God, and I think God's going to talk to you in deeper ways than if you were to watch the YouTube videos anyway. So spend time with God. There's some great stuff written in there. You know, I'll be honest with you, I've preached uh, the Sermon of the Mount a few times in my career. You know, I've done it, I've been a pastor now for a little over 20 years. So I've preached the Sermon of the Mount maybe like two or three times in my life, but this time around, I don't know what it is. Like, it really, like, moved me. It really, like, made me search my soul. You know, not because I'm preaching it to a new church or anything, but, like, because the Word of God just kept on hitting me as I kept on preparing. You know, I asked my wife, I think a few times, hey, are we saved? You know, I would ask my wife because I, I don't want to be deceived. I really want to know. And not only that, but I just really want to live for Jesus. And it's not because I'm a pastor, but it's because Jesus is that worthy. You know what I'm saying? And I just want to live that kind of life, and I, I want to be headed in that direction. I don't want to waste my life here while I'm here. And especially if I'm going to be a pastor, I really don't want to waste it, you know? And so uh, it's been such an amazing journey, even for me and my family. And so I, I hope it's been touching you and speaking to you. Uh, I know for me, it's helped clarify some things about my faith. It's really challenged it re and rebuked some parts of my life. But maybe more than anything, I think I've spent so many weeks just uh, celebrating how great Jesus is. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I'm going to say that phrase so many times today. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, as a pastor, as a preacher, you would think that I would spend a lot of my life celebrating how great Jesus is. But I don't. Because, you, know, you know, being in ministry is difficult. And sometimes I look more at the difficulties than I do at Jesus. But this series helped me just to look at Jesus a lot. And it was actually awesome. So, uh, good times, and I hope it ends well today. Uh, you know, next week, forgive me, I'm going to blow my nose. I don't know what's wrong with me today. Sorry. Uh, next week, you're in for a treat, though. What's happening next week? We're actually going to have our student minister, Aiden Ferreira, preach for us. I'm so excited. You know, this, you know, he's a student preacher, and, you know, I, I thought it was up to me as the, as the pastor of this ministry to help him along. And so, you know, I wanted to give him the opportunity to preach. You know, preaching is not easy. What's a, it's not easy in preparation. It's not easy in actual preaching. And you know what they say? You know what a lot of preachers, teachers say, teachers are preachers? You know, they say that, you know, you don't really get it until after you have about 100 sermons under your belt, right? That's, that's huge. And so I wanted to give Aiden... Uh, and as many opportunities as possible without getting in trouble with the mother church. And so, you know, I wanted to I wanted to let him go maybe like once every quarter. And so next week you're in for a great treat. I'm helping him along. If there's anything that I learned about preaching, I truly believe this now after 20 years of preaching. It really isn't about the skills or the charisma of the pastor or the preacher that really moves and changes a life. It is only whether God is in that place. And if there's anything I've learned, even preaching in this sanctuary, God is here. Amen. That's like the only time I ever ask you to say amen, <laughs> but it is, but it's so true. And it's so, that's why it's so awesome to be in this room worshiping with you guys. And so, you know, cause he's here and that's why God, I, that's, that's the only thing I, that's awesome. And that's why I love preaching in this place because God is here. And so anyone who takes this pulpit is going to be awesome. Let's continue to support him with our prayers. Let's continue to support his, support his journey to become a minister you know, and let's really pray that he becomes a great pastor, you know, for the kingdom and for his glory. 
Good, yes? Yes, Aiden, we're excited. Awesome, no pressure. <laughs> um, some people have been asking, what are you going to preach after the Sermon of the Mount series? And, and the actual answer is, I'm not exactly sure yet. I, whenever I do a New Testament series, I like, to, I, try, I like to go Old Testament. So most likely it's going to be something from the Old Testament. Uh, and I, I like to alternate, but we'll see. I kind of have an idea, but I don't want to say anything because I don't want to give you any tell you a lie or anything like that, you know, so we'll see. You'll find out in two weeks what we're going to preach on, okay? So, okay, let's get to our message today. Matthew 7, 28 to 8, 1. You know, today's verses are so straightforward, aren't they? There's like no mystery when you read this. And actually, there's only two things I want to highlight in today's uh, three verses that I really want you to be aware of when you think of these verses. And the first thing is, is this. It says that when Gen- Jesus finished preaching... The crowds were amazed at his teaching, right? Amazement was the reaction of the crowd after Jesus finished preaching. And I read that for the first time, and I'll be very honest with you, I was a little disappointed, you know? Maybe you guys, oh, yeah, it's so cool. But for me, I was disappointed because I'm like, dude, these teachings are like amazing teachings, aren't they? They're like eternally life-changing teachings, And they were just amazed. You know, I was kind of hoping that I would read something like, oh, after Jesus finished preaching, they all like were so convicted that they repented, you know, and they totally lived for Jesus and were so excited to die for Jesus. That would be like the ideal thing to read. And so you could imagine that I was a little, you know, when I say that I was a little disappointed, that I was a little disappointed because all I read was that they were just amazed. I mean, amazed doesn't get you into heaven. You know, amazed, you know, isn't eternal. Amazed doesn't get you a relationship with God. And so as great as amazed is, which it is, I don't like it. (laughs) I I didn't like it. Uh, That's because I don't know any better. You know, and that's praise God that he never does what I think is best. And praise God that what he thinks is eternal and awesome is not what I think is eternal and awesome. If, if, if God did whatever I thought was eternal and awesome, then salvation would be based upon what? Barbecued ribs and deep dish pizza. You know, that's it. I'd be like, dude, if you like barbecued ribs and deep dish pizza, you're in. You know, you're in my family. Because that's what I love. But praise God in reality that he doesn't. That he knows what's best and not me. So, you know, after some thought, and I really thought about this, and I said, I don't want to go up there and tell people I don't like the word of God. But I, I just did. But, you know, I, and I was like, God, you know, what, what, what is all this about? And, you know, after thinking about it and after praying about it for a while, I realized this. Being amazed at Jesus is probably one of the greatest responses you can ever have to any sermon, whether it was back then or today. Am I right? You know, so often we come to church, don't we? we and we want to learn something new, which is great. You know, a lot of times we come to church and, you know, we want to be challenged by some truth. I wonder what Eddie's going to tell me today to make me feel bad about myself or whatever it is, right? We want to be challenged. We want to see our spiritual level. We want to take that up a notch to the next level. And that's what we want when we come to church. And that's good and that's great. But these guys in our passage today, even though Jesus shared some of the most eternal teachings that you can find in all of Scripture, they were left just staring at Jesus. And I tell you what, if you're left staring at Jesus at the end of any sermon, that's the best day out of any day of your life. Am I right? 
Isn't that awesome? When was the last time you walked away from church? Just amazed at Christ. Entranced by Jesus. You know, absolutely captured by Christ. That is a great day. That's absolutely wonderful. Amazed is amazing, isn't it? Amazed is amazing. And it's exactly what these guys needed at that time. As critical as I am of this crowd, I realized when I really thought about it, that's exactly what they needed. If you don't know, you know, before Jesus, there was something called the intertestamental period. It's 400, intertestamental means before, uh, between the testaments, Old Testament, New Testament. 400 years, God decided to stay silent after the prophet of Malachi. And, you know, and so for 400 years, they never heard God. God never spoke through a prophet. All they had of God's word was the guys down the, down the street at the temple. These guys preaching God's word. And, and according to verse 29, they weren't that good. They had no power. They had no authority. And so they had no vision of who God was. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ comes along on the scene. He starts teaching. And they realize that Jesus Christ is no mere prophet. He's no mere teacher. There's something different. And what they recognize, according to our passage today, is that this guy has an authority that I've never seen before. There is an authority about Jesus that I've never felt before. There's a weightiness to the things that he's saying. And all of a sudden, they stood there absolutely entranced and amazed at Christ. Right? They were amazed at his authority, which is the second point that I'm, I want to make today out of that passage and what's really, what's really interesting is that they may not have responded with faith that day. But neither did the disciples. The disciples didn't even come to faith that day. I don't think any of them were ready to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe that wasn't the plan of Jesus that day anyway. But they were amazed at him. So amazed that chapter 8 verse 1 says what? It says their amazement at his authority caused them to follow Jesus. As we finish the Sermon on the Mount today, I believe that that is all that God wants from us as well. That we become true followers of Christ because we are so amazed at the authority of Jesus. That's it. That's our message for today. You know, the difference between today and the crowd 2,000 years ago in front of Jesus Christ is that they had this very limited uh, experience with the authority of Christ. They, I, mean, I don't know how long the Sermon on the Mount took. Maybe it took a day. Maybe it took two days. I'm not sure. But they had that limited amount of time with Jesus. However, we have all of Scripture to look at. We even have revelation. You know what I'm saying? So we, can, we have every view. We know every teaching on the authority of Christ. All throughout the New Testament, we've seen Christ wield his authority. We've seen the authority of Christ everywhere. And so we're a little bit... Of a, we have an advantage over the crowd, you know, 2,000 years ago. There are so many passages that speak of his authority. And so here we go. If you've never been amazed by Christ's authority, my hope is that after today's message, you will be. And that you'll realize that the only appropriate response to his authority is unconditional surrender of your life and a life lived in complete obedience to him. That's the goal of today. Are we clear? Are we good? Okay.
So there's three passages that I'd like to share with you about the authority of Christ. And the first comes from Matthew 28, verse 18, which is right at the beginning of the Great Commission. One of the last things that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven. Matthew 28, 18 says this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here, Jesus says that all authority... All has been given to him. You know that word all in the Greek? Do you know what that translates into? All. <laughs> it means like all. I mean, that's, so, that's a stupid question. Sorry. You know, I didn't phrase that right. And regardless, it means all, entire, entirely everything, you know, comprehensively all, everything in its entirety. That's exactly what it means, which, is, which means that Jesus is declaring that all authority in the universe has been given to him. He is basically the CEO and the king of the whole universe. Nothing happens that's not under his control. He creates everything. He created the world and the universe and the heavens and the earth with his authority, right? He preached with his authority. He healed people, raised people from the dead according to his authority. He even resurrected by his authority. If you've never thought about it, authority really is the descriptor of Jesus Christ. If there's anything about Jesus that he is, he is authority, right? But Jesus specifically says in our passage today that he is authority in two places. He has authority in heaven and he has authority on earth. And I'm going to cover those two things. What does it mean for Jesus to have authority in heaven? Have you ever asked yourself that? What does it mean for Jesus to have authority in heaven? And let me just tell you what I think it means. It means that Jesus has the ability to open things that can't be opened. Okay, It means that Jesus has the ability to create a way to heaven that no one else can. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5. We're going to read nine verses. It's a little bit long, but I want you to picture what's happening in this passage. Revelation 5, verses 1 to 8. Then I saw, and this is John, right? John the Apostle. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. Why? Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing. standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's 
people. There's one thing you need to understand when you want to understand this particular passage. The scroll that's mentioned in this passage really represents uh, judgment, God's judgment and salvation. Okay, so once you understand that the scroll represents God's judgment and salvation, hopefully this whole passage makes sense to you. And what's written in that scroll, it's written on both sides, is what God is going to do with sin and how he's going to save his people, okay? Once you understand that, it kind of unlocks the whole passage for you. So the thing is this, the scene is that there, you know, God is sitting on the throne, but no one is worthy to open up this scroll. And so in verse 4, it says that John is weeping because no one is worthy to open up this scroll. Even though there's like uh, angels, even though there's like demons, even though there's like all the heavenly creatures and all the heavenly hosts, no one is worthy enough to open up this particular scroll, except for one. The elder in verse 5, right, says to uh, John, he says, there is one who is worthy, and the person who is worthy is who? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Total Old Testament reference. We don't have time to go into that. All you have to, do is, all you have to know is that it's the lion refers to Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, in the next verse, John says, I looked up to see that lion, but I saw what? A lamb. He saw a lamb that was slain, who is Jesus Christ. And so to John, what he saw was that Jesus Christ is the only one that has the authority to open the scroll, meaning that Jesus Christ is the only one who has the authority to judge and to save people. And what and that's exactly what the, the book of Revelation is all about. If you ever read the book of Revelation, it is uh, Jesus Christ meeting out that judgment right? Taking down all demons, all in Satan, the most evil one, and all the principalities of this world. He's meeting out his justice all throughout the book of Revelation, and he's bringing salvation to those who truly worship him and those who truly love him. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Awesome book, absolutely wonderful. You should read it sometime. And that's exactly what it is. He alone, Christ alone, has the authority to do all that. To have authority in heaven means that Jesus is the only one who can bring judgment and salvation. He's the only one that can make a way into heaven. He alone is the narrow gate. Okay, that's what it means to have authority in heaven. So if you, you know, if you read the book of Revelation, it kind of reads like a fantasy novel. Has anyone ever read this thing? You know, there's like demons and principalities, like cosmic battles happening. Everything's happening, you know, but it's not a fantasy novel. It's real, you know, and honestly, if you've ever read it, it can be a little scary. I read Revelation for the first time when I was a kid and, you know, because that's what you do at camps late at night when you shouldn't be reading stuff like this and you get freaked out and you can't sleep. You know, and that's what happens. But anyway, that's when I first read it. It could be a little bit scary. But what we read, if we truly understand the authority of Christ in heaven, and especially if he holds judgment and salvation in his hand, but we're his children, we realize that we have nothing to fear if we are his. We have nothing to fear in heaven. You know, you read a revelation and you freak out because you're like, oh man, there's like persecution, there's people dying, there's like judgment. But you realize, oh my goodness, no. Because Jesus is, has all authority, we as his children don't need to fear whatsoever. We don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear persecution because we are his, right? So neither do we have, we don't have anything to fear in heaven, but nor do we have anything to fear 
here on earth. Romans 13.1 says this. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And what this verse is saying is that every earthly government, every earthly power structure has been established by God. Right, And even though some of these governments and some of these powers that exist in the world today are very oppressive towards Christians, a lot of them persecute Christians, a lot of them have even killed Christians, there is no authority greater than God. God is the one that established them. And because of that, we don't have anything to fear. We don't have to fear any of these governments, any of these power structures. Why? Because we are children of the CEO and the king of the authority that established those governments. Do you guys understand that? We serve him. So Paul even says in Romans 8, which we're not going to look at here, he says that because we are children under Christ's authority, we are more than conquerors, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, if God is for us, no one can be against us. This is what it means to be children under Christ's authority. So praise God that Christ has ultimate authority over the earth. But do you know what the real implication is that Christ has authority over the earth? The real implication of that has to do with sin, believe it or not. Right? It all has to do with sin. You know, when you're talking of Jesus Christ having all authority, ultimate authority, like authority above all other authority, authorities, then every sin, especially the little insignificant ones, carry eternal implications, right? They matter eternally. Let me explain. I heard this example from a famous pastor, so I just stole it. You know, I copy-pasted it for today because it's so awesome. Um, Here we go. If you were to meet me after church and we were to fellowship, which we're not supposed to do outside of these doors, you know, if we were to ever fellowship outside the doors and you were to say, hey, Eddie, what did you do last night? There's a good chance, you know what I'm going to say? I didn't do too much. I didn't, I did nothing. I might say that, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, me too. And that's it. Conversation over. But am I telling the truth? No, because I did something. But the reason why I said, oh, I didn't do anything is probably because I don't value what I did last night enough to tell anybody that I did anything. Or maybe because I I just think I literally didn't do anything. I just watched TV, and that's not worth telling. You know, so I said, oh, I did nothing. Or maybe I actually did something significant, but I just don't want to tell you. You know, so I just tell you, I did nothing. Regardless, I lied. But it's a small, insignificant, I could care less, you could care less lie. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's what it is. So who cares? But let's pretend instead of you, that a, a police detective with a warrant in an investigation comes up to me and says, hey, and hands me this warrant, gives it to me and says, hey, I'm doing an investigation about certain things that have been going on. What were you doing last night? And I'm like, oh, I did nothing. Like, my, that's it. The words are exactly the same. But it's still a lie, isn't it? I did something. But by me saying I did nothing, I could have, now all of a sudden, I could be guilty of what? Obstruction of justice by lying. You know, what I did is actually really important, isn't it? Especially in an investigation. But what changed? The answer is exactly the same. But what changed? You know what changed? The level of authority. So now all of a sudden, if I take this little white lie and I take it all the way up to the apex of authority, the authority of authorities, Jesus Christ authorities, 
then now all of a sudden this small little white lie sin has eternal consequences, doesn't it? That small little white lie now warrants eternal condemnation in front of a holy God, holy and perfect authority, like Jesus is, right? By me saying nothing, oh, that sin now warrants eternal condemnation, which is hell. Why? Because punishment always adjusts to the level of authority. So every lie, every sin, it matters. And it bears consequences in light of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate authority. Do you guys get that? So sin matters huge in front of Jesus Christ, who has ultimate authority. That's why. Praise God that if you never thought about this, you got to think this. The gospel is about this man, Jesus Christ, who has the ultimate authority, who has judgment and salvation in his hand, who decided to use his ultimate authority to do what? To die on the cross for our sins. He decided to use, he decided to use his ultimate authority to serve us and to satisfy the wrath of God that we deserved upon himself upon the cross. Who does that? Jesus Christ decided to use his ultimate authority to reveal the love of God to us. When he could have condemned us, you know? This is the gospel. And this is how much God loves us. And this is how much Jesus loves you, that he would use his ultimate authority so that we could know him and be saved. Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So what does that mean for us? Well, in order to answer that, let me tell you what it means for God. Okay, Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. Uh, it says, Therefore, God exalted Christ to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These verses teach us that God exalted Christ to the highest place and established his name authority to be above every other. Why? Verse 10 and 11. The why is the key part. He, God exalted Christ so that every knee could bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why did God give Jesus ultimate authority? God gave Christ all authority so that every person in humanity, dead or alive, every person in humanity, dead or alive, would give Jesus Christ their unconditional surrender and worship as Lord. That's it. That is the only proper response to the authority of Christ. Right? That, that's it. And it makes sense, doesn't it? The highest of authorities demands the highest of allegiances. The highest of authorities demands the highest of surrenders. The highest of authorities demands the highest of worship. That's what he's talking about here. Paul states this absolutely radically in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, 
But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. What Paul's saying in this, va- in this passage is that his allegiance and his surrender to Jesus is so complete, is so comprehensive, that for all practical purposes, I, Paul, am dead. Because my life is no longer about me whatsoever. I surrendered everything at the cross when Jesus died. If I have breath, it's about Christ and his glory. If I, have, if I live another day, it'll be about Jesus and his glory. This is what life is all about. And this is what salvation is. And this is the joy and the, and the satisfaction and the glory that God has given to us through this ultimate authority, right? And so, you know, the question really is how many of us can describe our lives in that way with a clear conscience? That, man, if I have another breath, it's going to be all about the glory of Christ. It's going to be all about Him. Paul knew intrinsically, and I think we need to know today, that the only proper response to the authority of Jesus Christ is unconditional surrender. I'm going to prepare you right now. I'm going to go a little on the guilt side. I really try not to be, you know, as Koreans, I I try never to go to the guilt thing. You know, as a pastor, we've had enough of that the past 20, like 20 years, 30 years of our lives. But I got, I'm going to go a little bit on the guilt thing today, okay? Uh, honestly, I think this unconditional full surrender to Jesus Christ thing is a great thing that we always talk about at church, but not, not many Christians really do in the Western church today. You know, in the Eastern church, the underground churches, the persecuted church, you see a lot of people fully committed, unconditionally surrendered to Jesus. But in the Western church, I don't know if we see it really that often, Okay. You know, including myself. You know, we don't like that phrase, unconditional surrender. You know what we like? Partial surrender, right? We like it. We like partial surrender a lot. And for some reason, we're okay with that. And the church has said, it's okay, you know? And it's not right. We like partial surrender. God, you can have my Sundays. I don't do anything anyway. You know, you can have my work because I kind of don't like what I do anyway. But you can't have my Fridays or Saturdays, man. No, and you can't have my career because there's something I really want to do. There's something I want to do. But you can have my Sunday. You can have my work, you know. God, you can have 10%. It's fine. But that other 90%, oh, please don't touch it. That's mine. You know what I'm saying? We like that. We like that so much. Oh, God. You know, of course. I'm going to make some room in my life for the Great Commission. Of course. Oh, but not if it gets in the way of my personal dreams. And not if it gets in the way of my comfort or my luxuries. Sure, I'll serve you, but not if. You know, there's always something holding us back. There's always a condition. There's always reservation. And the church has always been okay with that, especially in the Western world. And there's something wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? You need to realize that living in partial surrender simply means that we don't believe that the lion and the lamb is worthy to be worshipped, nor has the authority to be worshipped above ourselves. And that's what we need to admit. Yeah, sure, yeah, of course Jesus is like that. Of course Jesus is the lion, he's the lamb. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll sing the song. But not if it costs me everything. You know what I'm saying? You guys know, see, I know I'm going to go, I'm going a little guilty there, you know, but we got to tell the truth. We always hear stuff like that at church. Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ is my Savior, but I just haven't made him my Lord yet. You know, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard that? 
You know, he's my savior, but he's not my Lord. And we're okay with that. But in what world is it okay? In what verses have we read in the past three chapters in Matthew 5 through 7? Is that okay? It's never okay. As a matter of fact, it spoke directly against that for three chapters. There's nothing in all of Scripture that says that's okay for just for you to believe in a few facts about Jesus to make yourself feel good that you might be going to heaven, even though you don't live for Jesus whatsoever. It's okay. You'll get in. Don't worry. No. But yet the church has always been like, no, it's okay. You know, you'll get it one day. It's okay. Just believe in these sad facts. Say the prayer. Oh, just say the prayer. Let's throw some water on you. Just say the prayer. And we'll make you feel like it's okay. And the problem is, you'll feel like it's okay. And you'll be convinced that it's okay because we told you it was. When in reality, there's no such thing as believing in Jesus but not living for him. There's no such thing as believing in these facts about salvation, but not surrendering your life unconditionally to live for his glory. Those, there's no such thing. There's no, that's not one and that's not A and B. That's just, you know, you can't, it doesn't exist. That's like a man-made theology that we told you was okay to believe in. And if we did, I'm sorry, because that's our fault. Or maybe you created it in your heart and mind to make you feel good about yourself, you know? But that doesn't exist. That's not what saving faith is. Look, we all have our ups and downs, okay? There's not any person on the face of this earth that lives 100% sold out for Jesus every single day. We all have seasons that we're on fire, and we all have certain seasons where, you know, we kind of are wondering whether we should continue to live for Jesus. It's hard. Right? That's the Christian life. It really is a roller coaster. I think it's okay. But if you're sitting in this room, you are old enough to know whether you truly love Jesus and you're just going through some tough times, but you really do want to live for him, or whether you're just trying to beat the system. You know what I'm saying? Whether you're trying to cheat the system. But that second option doesn't exist. You know, God ain't that dumb. Okay? And so that's all I'm trying to say today. Faith in Christ, once again, is not about a free ticket to heaven because that's all about you. That's not about Jesus. We've been saying for the past few weeks that salvation is all about the glory of Christ, celebrating how awesome he is. Heaven is all about celebrating how glory, uh, how glorious he really is and how worthy he is of all of our worship. This is who we're going to you know, celebrate with. You know, these are the people that are going to make it into heaven. And so therefore, faith in Christ is not about this free ticket to heaven, but it is about the worthiness of Jesus Christ being worshipped forever. And we can start that now as humans here on earth. That's salvation, you know? That's why unconditional surrender must always be coupled with obedience. And that's why Jesus Christ continually warns us over and over and over again at the end of that Sermon on the Mount that we need to live this life of obedience, right? Because obedience keeps us on that narrow path that continually convinces us that it is only in Christ alone that we can have true life here on earth. Obedience changes our hearts continually to realize that it is only by giving Christ every day of the week 
every cent of our income, every part of our dreams that we can actually find complete joy and satisfaction in him and in this life. And more importantly, it is the practice of obedience in our lives that keeps us continually amazed at Christ. I think we need that more than anything else today so that we can love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. Do you guys get this? Okay? Do you guys feel guilty? I don't mean to make you feel guilty or bad at all, but we need to hear it, don't we? Right? The authority of Jesus Christ demands our unconditional surrender and obedience to him. This is what it means to follow Christ and this is what it means to be a Christian. So, as we close our sermon today, and as we close this whole series on the Sermon of the Mount, the question on the table is very simple. How will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. There is only one proper response to the one who has all authority, and that is unconditional surrender to his lordship characterized by obedience to his word. Let's be true followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You know, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, let's forget the label. If you've never surrendered your life unconditionally to live for the glory of Christ, will you do that today? The highest authority demands the highest of allegiance and worship. Don't give him 99%. He is worthy of all. Let's find our greatest joy in this life, making our lives a reflection of the worthiness of his authority. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving your son full authority. And Father, that your heart for us is that he used his authority, God, to love us, to sacrifice himself for us, to pay the penalty that we deserve, to satisfy your wrath against our sin. And Father, to make a way so that we could know you, be reconciled to you, and live for your glory for the rest of our lives. 
Thank you so much, God, for doing that through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray. It's such a difficult thing, especially in our world today. There are so many things competing for our attention. There are so many things that look so much like brighter, happier, more joyful. Things that we are convinced might give us more satisfaction than living for Jesus. But Lord, give us the ability, the spiritual power, the discernment, God, to truly see through those lies. So that, Father, we can find everything that we need and want in Christ alone. God, may his authority in our lives continually work so that, Father, we would just drive after you and know and not even entertain any other thought or any other path than to follow after you alone. So that, God, we could be true followers, true Christians, people who are proud to be called a Christian. Not because we're perfect or not because we live great lives, but because we're convinced that not only are we loved by you, but Father, because every part of our being wants to find our joy and satisfaction in you. Jesus become greater in the lives of the people here. We pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.